Hey everyone, and welcome to our second episode of The Spread, a podcast where we explore the intersection of creativity and sports by Butter Studio. I'm your host, Carrie Sikender, and I'm really excited to be here today in a very fun role reversal with Chris Chavez, founder of Sidious Mag, which is a sports media company that's modernizing coverage of track and field, really giving fans a single home to engage with this sport that has been hard to access traditionally. So I'm really excited to chat with Chris about all things running and creativity, as well as the project we just completed together. Butter just rebranded Sidious Mag and we redesigned the website. So really excited to talk more concretely about how creativity has impacted Sidious after this redesign. So welcome, Chris. Thanks so much for having me, Carrie. This is fun. It is a nice little role reversal after, I mean, I've hosted more than almost 500 episodes of my own podcast. And so it's always fun to kind of share a little bit of my own story, the Sidious Mag story, and a peek behind the scenes. Yes. And maybe I can learn something from you about podcasting since this is my second one. Oh, this is great. great. I'm I'm loving the concept (laughs) of the show already. Amazing. Cool. So let's go ahead and just tell us what is Sidious Mag? Tell us all about it. Yeah. So Sidious Mag is a digital media company specializing in storytelling in track and field at all levels from high school all the way to the collegiate and the professional level. And especially the stars that people see every four years at the summer games and the Olympics. You know, for us, we are versatile in the sense that we don't just pigeonhole ourselves to just doing podcasts or just writing or just having a solid social media presence on one channel. We really pride ourselves in the fact that we like to hit our audience wherever they get their news or their digital media. So we're not big in the sense that our team is producing you know, 50 plus pieces of content a day, but sometimes what we're doing is just really digging our heels and telling a really good story, You know, two or three really good stories a day and blasting it across a newsletter, a podcast, you know, clipping the best interview parts for an Instagram post or on Twitter. And so I think that's been really cool is just kind of for me at 29 years old, I grew up with all of these digital media platforms that it's an ever-changing landscape. And one of the most interesting parts of the job is keeping up with how people consume things. And so, you know, for us, we really specialize in telling those athlete stories, you know, across all of those different mediums. And so we are a little bit different in the sense that it's a mix of basically track and field's version of the ringer where we offer up our own sort of nerdy analysis, but at the same time, you'll get some jokes, some humor and some commentary. And it's all coming from us because we're super passionate about it. And I think we operate through the lens of a fan. Amazing. Yeah, I think that's super cool. And this is one of the things that inspires me the most about Sidious Mag is that you are really making the sport more accessible to a much wider audience by covering all those touch points and having your coverage really across all these different platforms. So I love that the content is so dynamic and really accessible wherever somebody might be on the internet. And the funniest part is that mag is part of the title and there has never been a magazine. And I think that was for me when I started this thing, you know, back in 2017, 
maybe that was my initial goal. It's like, all right, maybe someday like I'll publish a magazine and have this all in written form. And that stems from a lot of my own background as a journalist. And it just has never come to fruition. But now that we're pushing more people to our brand new, beautiful website, you know, that it has sort of that magazine feel. And I guess like the cool part is that like people who are starting to get familiar with us now can see that, oh, we've been around for a couple of years now. And it's like, maybe I missed the point when they were a magazine and now it's all online. But nope, I guess like the real part is that the, the mag part has actually never come to fruition, but who knows, maybe someday. Yeah, maybe down the road, there'll be a special edition print version. Yeah. Yeah, so on that note, tell us how you started. What is your background? So I've been covering track and field now for 11 years. I was a high school sprinter here in New York City where I was born and raised, and I wasn't anything special. And I actually really didn't like participating in track and field. You know, the 400 meters felt like a long distance and I would skip practice so that I could go work, you know, at the high school newspaper. So I was always balancing running and journalism in a sense, even if it was at the high school paper level, but I didn't have any plans to continue running or even being involved in track and field when I got to college. And then suddenly like one day I stayed in on a Friday night and some friend of mine had retweeted a link to a live stream of a track meet and I was watching it and some guy runs a 13 minute 5k. And at that point, like I had started to just run for health and wellness. Like I'd ran my first 5k and it was like 20 minutes. So to see someone running it in 13 minutes was bananas to me. And so then, you know, this is the summer before the 2012 Olympics. I told myself, you know what? That was a really cool moment. I watched the interview with the athlete. His name was Dathan Ritzenhine at the time. And now he's like a pretty renowned coach in the sport. And he just had this passion pouring out of him because I guess he'd been through these ups and these downs with injuries. And I was like, I need to know more about this guy and not just this guy, but I wanted to know more about these other athletes competing at this meet, because to me now, all of a sudden, I learned that there was a sport beyond just what was taking place at the Olympics. And for most people, their familiarity with track and field is just back in 2008, 2012, 2016 was Usain Bolt or Ann Allison Felix. You're going to see these sprinters run for 10, 20 seconds on the track, maybe a minute, and then that'd be it. And then you just tune in and watch the next thing, whether that would be when they turn to swimming or gymnastics or whatever it might be. But that was it. And I was kind of convinced that like, well, there's this whole other side to the sport where there's distance races and throwers and jumpers. And I wanted to learn more about them. So I kind of went about reverse engineering myself as a fan, going back and watching old YouTube races and reading old Sports Illustrated stories and trying to educate myself so that before the London Olympics rolled around, I had at least a little bit more knowledge of who some of these athletes were and what their stories were. And kind of in that time period too, I just decided, well, my dream was to be a baseball writer for the New York Yankees. And I realized that there's only 30 major league teams and a handful of jobs where you can be that full-time beat reporter in the stadium every single day. And it would be a grind to get there. I would have to go work at a really tiny newspaper and then maybe move up to a medium-sized newspaper or a magazine. And eventually I would reach that dream maybe in my mid-30s or something like that. And I noticed that there was kind of this lane that I could just take and try and shoot to the top of going to the Olympics by telling these athlete stories somehow. And I 
got connected with this website called FlowTrack, which is owned by Flow Sports. And, you know, I just volunteered and I was like, hey, I want to cover this track meet coming up in New York City if you guys need any help. And they said, yes, I did a couple interviews for them. I wasn't phased by these athletes because I wasn't starstruck because I didn't know who I was talking to. And it was cool because that naivete, I guess, just kind of didn't allow me to get starstruck or be a total fan in front of them. And I was just asking simple questions that maybe the common sports fan was wondering. And so that curiosity led me down this path that and this education you know, side of things where I was just learning how to be a fan of the sport while, you know, at Flow Track, where I spent two years with them and sacrificed most of my college weekends to go to track meets and interview athletes and coaches and agents. And I got that firsthand exposure where in the big sports, you see an Adrian Wojnarowski or an Adam Schefter is like the people breaking the news as to like, oh, this player got injured or this player got traded. And there wasn't any of that in track and field of just like the constant updates as to what the athletes are up to. And so I kind of established myself as one of the go-to people for that pretty early on. And at this point, I'm still 18, 19 years old in college. And I never really kind of had that foresight or that vision that like this would be what I was going to lean into. Eventually, I just decided I'm going to leave the baseball dreams behind and focus on making it to the Olympics. And so did an internship at ESPN one summer and then, you know, got introduced to someone at Sports Illustrated when I was a senior. And pretty soon after that interview with them, started off as a fellow and Once I got in the door at Sports Illustrated, I decided that I was going to try and cover track and field as much as I could. They had Tim Layden, who was a senior writer who had done this, you know, two plus decades of crafting these long form, amazing stories at world championships and Olympics. And, but at the same time, that's only 10% of the year for these major events. I wanted to cover, you know, the other 90. And so I basically worked my butt off that first year at SI to show that passion I had for the sport, that expertise, and then earned myself a spot on the Olympic team in 2016 to go to Rio. And so this dream came true of going to the Olympics. And then soon after that, I worked so hard from 2012 to 2016 to get to that moment that now I was at Sports Illustrated already and I maybe didn't have to work as hard, but I still cared a lot about all these little track meets, one happening in Florida or Minneapolis or California, wherever it might be. But I just didn't want to bother my editors with just all of these, you know, 500 or thousand word stories on these track meets that only the track diehards cared about. And for them, like it didn't really make sense either to spend time on it because a track story doesn't make a drop in the bucket that a football breaking news story does. So I kind of just took it upon myself to create my own outlet and a place where I could geek out on all the track and field nerdy things and bring some friends along as well to help me get it started where it really did become a place for commentary and relatable running content. And I was really taking pages out of, you know, Bill Simmons' playbook and some of these other, you know, places that I found inspiration along the way. And that was in 2017. By 2021, end of year, like this was just a side project that I was really passionate about. And has now turned into my full-time job. I left SI at the end of December 2021. And now we're two years into me being basically a small business owner, but at the same time running a media company with a global footprint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, amazing. I didn't realize we had so much in common. I run Butter Studio, a design studio that's focused on sports, using design to amplify sports brands. And like you, I was not an amazing athlete growing up. But I really 
cared about sports and it really shaped me. Not to say you weren't an amazing athlete, by the way. I'm just kind of repeating what I heard from you. But yeah, I mean, playing sports really shaped me in my youth. And I've always been inspired by athletes as kind of these superhuman beings that accomplish feats that most of us could never imagine accomplishing and utilizing a skill set that I was really passionate about being design as a way to help amplify sports is very similar to what you did going the journalism route. And I think that's really cool. And I'm excited to hear more about kind of how you have created such a creative space in the sports media landscape with Sidious Mag, because it is really different. You're working in a sport that doesn't get that much coverage, as you were saying. You're working across all these different media types, from podcasts to video to articles. And I'm curious for you to tell us, kind of in your words, what is different about it from existing sports media? Yeah, I think what makes us different is more so what makes us different in the track landscape because we're going in the same direction that a lot of new emerging media companies are going where I think nowadays the sports fan wants to get their news or their commentary from someone who is just as passionate or like-minded. You know, I think about a year ago, there was a big New York Times story on John Boy Media which I was familiar with for a while as a diehard Yankee fan where, you know, this guy just started making breakdown videos and lip readings and all this stuff on his own personal YouTube channel and on his Twitter page. And he would go and recap Yankee games at the end of every night. And you could tell that there was, you know, this passion behind it. He didn't have a journalism background. And I think like that's a big thing too, is that nowadays you're seeing a lot of people where it's easy to start a Substack page or your own website or just even have your own opinions out there on Twitter that people crave and want to hear more of. And so there's that personality that people attach themselves to. And so in track and field, there isn't a whole lot of that, you know, where I'm very forward facing at Sidious Mag and as, you know, the founder, but at the same time as the person hosting the podcast every week. And my colleague and co-owner, Kyle Merber, does a weekly newsletter. But at the same time, you know, we're constantly in front of the camera at events doing commentary or interviews with athletes. And so people can be attached to Kyle. And then we've got our other sort of podcasters and personalities and analysts like in our Sidious Mag ecosphere is kind of what I like to call it, where people can now necessarily be a fan of what Sidious does, but not necessarily need to be a total fan of like, oh, I'm a Chris Chavez fan, or like I can be a Kyle Merber fan and love what Sidious is doing, or you can just love the talent or the personality as well. And so we're seeing that just across multiple different media entities over the last couple of years where people want to engage with people, others who are just as passionate about it. And at the for me, it's tough because that long form 5,000 word story that used to be a dream to be able to create at Sports Illustrated just isn't how most people are consuming their media. Like nowadays, people's attention spans are really short. And so you have to cater to that 16-year-old who is on TikTok and you're only going to get for 30 seconds. So how can you tell a really quality story in that time? Because that person is definitely not reading 5,000 words online or anything like that. But what separates us is that we have personality attached to what we do. 
We're super passionate. And I think the hardest part for me has been detaching that journalist hat that people have kind of seen in me over the last decade or so, because I was, you know, the straight news guy where it was just basically, here's the result or here's the tweet of what you need to know in 240 characters or a 500 word story. And it was just the facts. And now there's more takes and jokes along the way. And so, you know, we run a media company, but we're doing it through the lens and the voice of the fan where that's why our passion really drives everything that we do. We hope that when we get excited about a major performance, someone else is, or that if you're new to this and you just see us, you know, freaking out over a crazy fast, you know, mile race or something like that, that you stumble upon that clip and you're like, why are these guys going so crazy? What do I need to know? It's like that fear of missing out, hopefully, is what gets someone to engage in the content with us. And so, yeah, I mean, like what we're trying to do is also cater to welcoming in new fans and educating those who are already in it because it's hard to be a track and field fan. Like it's fractured and how to watch it. You have to have, you know, five or six different streaming services and knowing what channel, what thing is on and, you know, not many of these places share that information because everyone's got a different vested interest. For us, our interest is in getting more people to watch track and field and be excited about it and really familiarize themselves with the athletes that make it great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And tell me about your team. In addition to you and Kyle, who else is there? And it sounds like the team has been instrumental in shaping this unique lens through which you just described your telling stories. Tell us a bit more about who's behind the scenes and how you work together and how you decide what to feature. Yeah. So the team is small. We're small but mighty, I think. And we've got kind of like a good workflow going where when a race is happening or a big track meet is taking place, it is all hands on deck. And so, you know, from the content side of things, I definitely direct everything and, you know, kind of help curate what is going where and what's important to hit. And that just comes from my background in having been an editor of the breaking news team at Sports Illustrated is just like, I kind of know what is high impact and what people should know and how to deliver it to people in a quick, efficient, yet accurate manner. And then on the other side of things, Kyle brings the athlete brain to the team where he was a professional runner for a decade and knows what the athletes feel and want and what they want to hear about and what can be improved from their side of things. And at the same time, he's got a marketing background as well. So he helps with our partnerships and sponsorships. And then we brought on Mac Fleet, who was a two-time NCAA champion at Oregon. And he kind of just chatted with us one day at a track meet in 2021. And he's been someone who's been very vocal about some of the things that he would love to see, you know, during a broadcast, whether that I was like, you know, cutting away to split screen or whatever it is to enhance the viewer perspective. And it's cool to see that he's taught himself a lot of things from like he heads our video operations where we're doing these live shows after events or before events. And it's impressive to me to see one, how he's managing all these cords and microphones and all this different stuff. And he's really self-taught all within the past two years. And that's impressive and admirable to me because, you know, that's really seeing something that you want to change and taking it upon yourself to change it. And so 
you know, that's been really cool. And the best part is that for a lot of the things we do, we're learning and trying things constantly and we're learning what works best and what we can double down on. And so the three of us are the owners of the company. And then from there, we do have a wide array of analysts and personalities that we tap into. We've got Dana Giordano, who also was professional runner. She hosts a podcast that focuses on the female athletes, coaches, and entrepreneurs in the sport. And we've got David Melly, who is you know, a runner in Boston who is really good friends with a lot of my friends and we hit it off and he has really, for someone who has, you know, a separate full-time job outside of running is our, basically our social media director where during a track beat, you can count on him to post the graphics and updates really fast. And at the same time, the behind the scenes of things is that like, I'm still making a lot of those graphics and editing my own podcast. And We've got two great photographers, Johnny Zhang and Justin Britton, who are super fast at events and like can capture a moment in time that is taking place rapidly. Just, you know, that moment when an athlete crosses the finish line, and then all of a sudden we have it in a Dropbox within two minutes of the race ending. You pass that off to David, who puts it on a graphic and blasts it up on Twitter or Instagram. And that's just kind of just like how quick things go. And it's cool because we feel that rush and we want to get things out first and, you know, have that high impact on people. And at the same time, we're not just limited to just what we're doing on social media. Like then, you know, again, on our shows, we brought in Jasmine Todd, who has a world championship medal in like the four by 100 meter relay and was a standout sprinter at Oregon as well. And Caitlin Hutchison, who's younger and still in college and running at the University of Kentucky, there are sprints and jumps experts because for us, we wanted to make sure that we weren't just leaving out and focusing heavily on the distance events. We're passionate about all of it. And so I think that's another key component that separates us from some of the other places in track media is that we want to show love to all of the different events. And so that's the jumps, the throws, the sprints, not just the distance events, because for us, that's where our background is probably the strongest. So, and then constantly we're tapping into younger, newer creatives. If someone is at a meet somewhere and they've got, you know, some pretty cool photos, we'll reach out and we'll pay them for photos or, you know, ahead of time, we'll coordinate with someone to get us interviews at different events. And so it's small, but we're constantly trying to be in as many places as possible. Yeah. And I can hear just how passionate all of the team members are just from you telling me about how your process works and how it happened so fast. And everybody is doing, some of the team is doing it outside of their full-time job. And I think that that passion clearly comes through in the content how would you say creativity plays into the team's process? I think it's super cool that you also bring in young people who maybe are aspiring to be journalists or photojournalists into the fold. I think that's super creative. And I'm curious to hear more about other ways creativity comes into the process. Yeah, we're constantly trying new things. And at the same time, we're taking cues from other places that are doing things successfully. And I think the creative part comes in, it's like, well, how can we get it to apply to track and field? And there's some things that are just like too big to scale right now. Like there's constantly this big talk in track about how we see what's happening in Formula One and golf and tennis with these Netflix documentaries and that we need one. And that's going to be a big difference for our storytelling. And, you know, because that's what's led to this major takeoff with people being able to watch and follow along with those sports and really dive all in on them. And I can speak mm -hmm. to my own fandom with F1 that, yeah, that's what led to me becoming a big fan. And 
I don't necessarily think that that's the end all be all. Oh, we get that and we're going to be in great shape. So along the way, we can get creative with, we don't have the budget for a Netflix documentary, but how can we tell stories in a similar format across of what we have access to right now? And so I think creativity comes in where we listen very closely and pay attention to what's out there. So for me and my process, like I think one of the most fun things that I used to do when I was mostly a writer at Sports Illustrated, even before that, was I would take an old magazine story from SI and I would read it and print it out or just you know have a separate notebook handy and I would annotate everything. It would be every paragraph. I'd be like, what is the purpose of this paragraph? And what is this quote? And how did the reporter writing this, what question did they ask to get that specific quote? And I'd basically pull apart the skeleton of that story and then use it as a model for what I would do later on. Say, for example, there was a story about an old Sports Illustrated magazine about a guy who won the Olympics in the 1500 meters. So now I could pull apart that skeleton of telling that person's story and apply it to maybe a high school runner who broke four minutes for the mile for the first time. And it's just very similar. And so, you know, sometimes you could pick apart the questions and the structure and see what the generalities are and how you can apply it to other things. And so I do the same thing nowadays too, when I'm listening to another podcast or you know, watching a Netflix documentary or something like that, I'll have my notes document open on my phone and I'll jot down some things of like, what question was that that got that really cool quote? All right, so now if we did that with a young high school sprinter or with a gold medalist, like, will it have a similar impact and can we create that moment as well? So it's constantly taking inspiration from other places that do it successfully and applying it to track and field where, you know, sometimes that creativity hasn't reached, you know, that point yet. And maybe we can set people on that path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very similar in design. And I think before I became a designer, creativity felt like a big mystery to me. It felt like people are just coming up with these amazing ideas from their heads. But it actually requires a lot of research and taking inspiration from existing things and seeing how you could think about taking one piece from here and one piece from there and another piece from over here and melding them together and making it into your own idea. I love how you explain that because I think it can be kind of a mysterious thing for people who don't work in a field where they're creating things on a daily basis. Yeah, no, totally. And it's that you sometimes see the final product and don't realize just all of the different places that it took to get there. And I mean, that was particularly cool when we were working together. It's just that it was these constant sprints where we were working on one specific thing at a time and pulling inspiration from other places. But at the same time, at the end, always making it original and unique to what we were doing. So now, I mean, it's the same thing with watching a movie or reading a story where it's like, oh, okay, like maybe this stemmed from, you know, or was inspired by someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. So can you tell us about a particularly memorable Sidious Mag story, one of your favorites or a project? Oh, okay. So I think last year, our biggest moment was maybe the world championships, which were taking place in the United States for the first time ever. 
And it's out in Eugene, Oregon. Oregon is kind of considered like the hub of track and field in America just because of the University of Oregon's history, Phil Knight and his investment in Nike and building this now $270 million cathedral for track and field out there that is probably one of the most beautiful stadiums out there. So the world championships were finally coming to the United States for the first time ever. Really exciting moment. And this is also the first year that Sidious Mag is in its, you know, my full-time job. So kind of think of it as Sidious Mag 2.0 year one. And we had kind of found our footing as like the guys with our commentary and analysis before and after events. So it's in doing pre and post game shows. And during the world championships, I had this idea for a talk show where every day there's a morning session and an evening session. And I said, well, what are people doing in between both those two? Can we do our own show where we're interviewing people who come in and they could be athletes who are competing at the world championships or they could be the who's who of track and field is going to be in Oregon all at the same time. So what if we reached out to some of these big names to come on and just talk to us about the competition, the sport in general? And, you know, at first, like I did get a couple looks from Kyle and Mac being like, well, that's a lot. I mean, we're already doing morning runs. We're going to the track for the morning session. We're doing interviews there. And And then you want us to do a show in between the rest that we're supposed to get between the morning and evening session. And then after the evening session, we do a podcast at the end of the night that we push out for people to consume the next morning before the next day of competition starts. So it was a lot. And I said, no, I mean, I think this could be a big thing for us. And it did. It took off. And I think the best part was that we did get offers from major brands to sponsor it and We'd be sitting like, for example, if it was a shoe company, we would have been sitting in like that shoe company's, you know, house or lounge or whatever it might have been. And, you know, it maybe wouldn't have been as welcoming to other athletes who weren't sponsored by that shoe company or brand or whatever. And I decided we're going to pass on that money. Like there's you know, six figure deals that we passed on because this was going to be a big brand moment for us that we wanted to really establish ourselves. And this show, it was going to be Cities Mag Live at Worlds. And every day we brought on a big guest. And it could have been an Olympic gold or silver medalist. It was Malcolm Gladwell one day. It was Michael Johnson, you know, the two-time Olympic gold medalist from the 96 Olympics. And it was the president of USA track and field. It was, yeah. So we got some pretty big people and every day we would see the numbers go up of like, all of a sudden people were coming and watching the show every day because what we realized is that there's sometimes a lack of a place to talk about track. And for those two weeks, it was the YouTube chat was just constantly popping off with people talking about XYZ topic that we weren't even talking about on screen sometimes. And it was cool to really cultivate that and give people that extra bit of context to these performances. Again, to the point of like, you see these athletes on the track, they step off and they do a TV interview with NBC for like maybe 30 seconds to two minutes. And then that's it. That's the last you kind of hear of them from major media. And sometimes there's an article maybe that follows things up. But again, you know, not a ton of people are reading every single thing. And so for us, we would be able to host these athletes in a much more relaxed setting. It was in our backyard and we created the set. And it was fun because that sprinter who just ran 10 seconds to win a world championship silver or bronze medal 
now is sitting down and telling us the full story for 30, 40 minutes. And they can curse. They can tell us where they went after, you know, they walked off the track and how they celebrated all this kind of extra stuff that you don't get, you know, if you're just watching the TV broadcast. And so to this day, we still get compliments on those shows and we're excited that we're going to be bringing them back, you know, in two months when we're at the world championships in Budapest. And it's going to be a little bit tougher because we don't know Budapest as well as we know Eugene, Oregon, but you know, that was really cool. And from our team side of things, it was a team effort to coordinate those interviews. And to sometimes we had different personalities from our team jump on the show to conduct the interviews or to chat. And then at the end of every night, our podcasts were always high energy as well. So for all the sleep that we sacrificed over those two weeks, it was so worth it. And, you know, I think we constantly are working to feel that buzz again. And we're looking forward to doing it. In a couple of weeks, we're at the US Championships back in Oregon. Then we'll be at the World Championships in Budapest. And like we're already talking about like, I can't wait to grind, basically. It, those are long days, but they're so worth it when we can deliver to our audience. I love that you picked that story to share with us because it really represents your vision as an entrepreneur to see that opening and say, we're going to turn down these sponsorship deals, basically, to do this thing for ourselves, have this show, and just to see how your vision really paid off and it became something really special that people were so excited about. So I think that's a great kind of transition for us to talk about a little bit about the work that we did together. So you had mentioned it a bit earlier, but... The company, Sidious Mag, has been around for a couple of years. You have been doing everything yourselves in-house. And then you got to a point where you felt like it was time to update the look and feel of the company. And we, Butter Studio, ended up working with you on rebranding Sidious Mag and relaunching your website. So I think this is a great way to talk about how you are thinking about creativity from the visual side. So I would love to hear what inspired you to do the rebrand. What were you hoping to achieve for the company through design? Yeah, so it is two-pronged where it was the rebrand and the website redesign where, you know, kind of piggybacking off of that world championship story, See, the downside was that those two weeks of the World Championships were so busy producing so much content that we never updated the website once in those two weeks. And it was bananas because now if you're this, you know, say you're a Jamaican track and field fan who stumbled upon us because we had an awesome interview with Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, one of the greatest sprinters of all time, who sat down with us for an hour and she doesn't do that. And now you're like, that was really cool. What's Sidious Mag? Like, I got to learn more. I'll go to SidiousMag.com to find out more. And it hadn't been updated in like two weeks. And so we noticed that there was that missed opportunity to really hook even more people to be familiar with us. Yes, they were familiar with us from the content we were producing, but it's like now where, where can I find more? So part of that was, okay, now we need to be able to have a hub for everything that we do that's clean and looks fresh and new and different from, first off, like, what we're doing is already different from what others in the track and field media space are doing. So now let's find the proper home for that. 
And you know, the website that I had before was just you know a website from you know on WordPress with a template that was bought. And then at some point, we had you know a super fan who like reached out and wanted to offer to redesign it, and that was nice. And he did a great job. But at the same time, like now we needed something that really looks and feels more like the professional media company and outlet that we are. And at the same time, feels modern and true to the sport. And so in some of the early conversations we had, we pulled from, all right, what's already out there? Like there's a lot of green because of, you know, the University of Oregon's colors and World Athletics has like a orange purple look and red and black seems to be like a common thing with some of the other pro track and field teams. And so we ended up picking a pretty unique color scheme that now feels really with the red and the white and the pink accents. And it's fun because now I'm scrolling through Twitter sometimes and like, because I'm not firing off as many of the Sidious Mag tweets, that's most cases David, it'll pop on my feed because like, you know, that new brand market that we have is pretty unique and it looks cool and it pops. And so I think that was part of it too, is like, how can we continue to make ourselves stand out? And I think on top of that, the brand redesign was also a little bit of a statement that like, yeah, all right, we're fresh and we're not going anywhere. Like we're just getting started. This is City of Smack. We're here to stay. And I think it was cool. The reception we've gotten ever since we released the new brand mark and word mark and the website has been great. And so it was a long process from our first meeting all the way to getting to the finish line, no pun intended, but it was so cool when it got out there. And now the constant demand is merch. Like I'm wearing one of the few t-shirts that we've printed, but yeah, it's coming soon. And I think that's another cool part is that people have an affinity for our brand. It's not just the sport, but it's also our brand too now. And that's really cool because, you know, we're still fairly early on in our in our company's history that it's nice that the supporters, the readers, the listeners, they feel like they're along for the ride as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I love hearing that they already want the merch. So do I. I can't wait for the hat and the t-shirt. Yes, we're getting you a hat as soon as we get some. Can't wait to rep the hat. So going back to the process a little bit of redesigning Sidious Mag, were there any pieces of it that surprised you? I think it was like the attention to detail, even it was the tiniest things that were so cool that I maybe I wasn't aware of. It's, you know, the corners and the colors and like this color can't go on this color. Like how we started off was just pulling a font that we found and it looked great. And now it's like, there are these guidelines. And the best part is, you know, having these, the brand guidelines that your team sent over is that now, like, if I see a graphic, I'll tell it's like, hey, David, that was the wrong font on this thing. And it's like, things are tight and like, they're cool. And I think like that was part of one of the parts of the process that surprised me is just like the level of care and attention to every single thing. Everything serves a purpose. And sometimes it's easy to get careless and just have this clashing font and this capital letters and all this stuff, but you want something to really look good and be uniform all throughout. And so that's, I think, one of the things that surprised me is just even, you know, from your side of things and even Lucas and the Buenos Suertes Studios side of things, it's like, we want everything to be, everything to work, everything to flow into one another. And so that part was really, really cool for me to learn all about in the process. It was just like, 
this represents movement and this is you know similar to the direction that you run on a track everything serves a purpose and it's cool when every little bit of a brand design has a story behind it yeah totally and it was easy with this too because there's so much visual inspiration to pull from track and field so the top of your website has an oval with the main headline of the moment running around the track so it was really fun for us to get creative with how to pull in kind of what it feels like to watch a track and field event into the website, into the layouts, into the logo that we made. And yeah, Lucas is our web developer who built your site from Buena Suerte Studio. And he is also super detail-oriented. And all of us with you as well work together to create this really cool final product. I think this is a nice tie-in because when I think of track and field, I think about precision and what are the tiniest tweaks and details and changes that an athlete can make to cut a tiny, tiny bit of time off of their their speed. So I'm kind of curious, where does creativity come into play for the athletes? How can it give them an edge in their training in their personal style. We've seen a lot of of that coming through as well in how they compete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting that you noted, you know, just like the tiny tweaks that they can have in training, because even the best are constantly looking for different ways to improve and change things up and go faster and break their own records. And that's where it is like the tiniest tweak to maybe how I start a race. But at the same time, creativity comes through and being able to take those risks. And like when it's super public for people to see that you're trying something totally new, like I'm thinking in particular, like there's this Dutch 400 meter hurdler, her name is Femke Bol, and she's an Olympic silver medalist and or Olympic bronze medalist, world championship silver medalist. And she is trying to catch up to Sydney McLaughlin Lavroni, who's like the greatest 400 meter hurdler of all time. And she's, you know, Femke Bowles running really fast. But now this year in particular, she's trying a new technique where she's taking a different number of steps in between hurdle seven and eight, whatever it might be. And she's testing that out during competition while there's thousands of fans in the stands. And it's like, the only way you're going to know if those changes work is if you try them all out and you have to simulate that stuff. So there's creativity in experimenting with your practice. And then at the same time, I think actually one thing that's been taking off this year in particular, and it's, you know, again, track taking a page out of something else that's successful is in the NBA and in the NFL, when you tune into a broadcast, as the game is about to start, you constantly get the shots of the athletes walking into the stadium and they're wearing their you know, Tom Ford suit or their Gucci jacket, whatever it might be. And track and field athletes are just as stylish and we don't get to see that. And so now there's been efforts from race organizers to coordinate with photographers and creatives to be present before the athletes walk into the event and alerting the athletes like, hey, we're going to have five photographers at the entrance to the stadium if you want to dress up and really showcase that personality. And so we're seeing some of the best athletes in the world show up in really nice suits and dresses and 
showcasing that style side to them. And so whereas you see them all, you know, kind of wearing the same uniform on the track, that's their moment where they get to show, oh, okay, like I love wearing a full denim suit or whatever it might be. Or I think that's where creativity also comes into play. So you get both sides of it. You get it on the track and you get it off the track. And for us, we try and amplify it as much as we can. We'll have one of our photographers be there for those walk-ins. And then, you know, when they are testing something new or talking about it, we can get geeky and we want to know all the technical side of things too. And so, yeah, that's sort of like where let their creative muscles be flexed both on and off the track. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's cool because it's a way for Sidious Mag to also help kind of amplify the athletes' personal brands as well and help them get out there in front of more people too, which is great. So I would love to hear what's next for Sidious Mag. Can you tell us about something you're excited about or an upcoming project that's in the works? Yeah. So we've got a pretty jam-packed summer. Last week in particular was really fun because, you know, there's these marquee track meets taking place in Europe called the Diamond League. And for the first time ever, we have a correspondent out there that we've tapped into and hired to be at a lot of these major meets. And so it's cool to have an American media presence at these major events where most of the American top stars are competing. But at the same time, it's spreading our wings and having someone at the NCAA championships. It's me going out to a race taking place in Central Park. And so we're able to be at more things and have really spread our coverage out in different places. And so this weekend is cool because we'll be at in Philadelphia for a high school national championships. But at the same time, then I'm boarding a plane and going out to Kenya to visit the world's best marathoner, Elliot Kipchoge, and one of the greatest distance runners of all time, Faith Kipiegon, who just broke the women's 1500 meter world record and 5k world record all within the span of a week. And so that's going to be the trip of a lifetime, I think for me, where like getting invited to go spend time with the best in the world and being able to interview them and possibly jump in on a run with them. Like that'll be really cool. And then all things are leading up to, you know, again, a big presence at the US championships taking place in early July in Eugene, Oregon, and then the world championships in Budapest in August, where we're going to be doing our live daily shows between the sessions. We'll be doing podcasts after every single day of competition. And now we've got a website that we're going to be updating constantly with news articles and analysis. And so it's cool because now we have this hub where we can push all of our best content for people to consume. And we want people to get kind of into that habit. It's like, all right, every morning I'll check SidiousMag.com and see what's the latest and newest big thing. And we, again, at the heart of it, want to make it easier to be a track and field fan. And so that's kind of, it's fun because, you know, the work takes us to many awesome different places. It's a grind. And, you know, sometimes there's parts of the year where summers in particular are really busy and then it just rolls into the fall when you've got your major marathons. And then before you know it, it's indoor season and it's back to outdoor season again. So it's a whirlwind. But at the same time, we've got the passion and energy to try and cover as much and all of it as possible. I wonder if you will be able to channel your... 18-year-old self not being starstruck when you are running next to Ali Kipchoge in Kenya. Oh, man. It's so I will be curious to hear how that goes. <laughs> it's definitely going to be tough. Well, this was super fun, Chris. We just worked together for a number of months building your new site, and it was really nice to dive in a bit deeper and hear a lot more about 
your story and how your team is working together and what's coming up. So thank you. And I would love to end by hearing from you what are three of your favorite other organizations in the world of sports, in running or outside of it, that kind of span sports and creativity? Yeah, this is a tough one. Because I definitely will take cues and pages out of the ringer and especially Bill Simmons's brain. At the same time, you know, John Boy Media is another place that we've looked at for a lot of inspiration lately in the type of stuff that we do. So, you know, those are two big ones. But then at the same time, I also am involved with a program called The Magic Boost, which is doing phenomenal work in helping identify and find track and field content creators at a young age, or I mean, they don't even have to be all that super young. We have one photographer who was like in his 40s, but he had just picked up a camera two or three years before that, where it's like, again, to the point of people who are passionate about covering the sport and are still learning and doing it, that for me, I was part of helping start this program in 2021, where, you know, this is kind of coming after 2020 when there's all these calls for more diversity and inclusion, especially in the media, that I looked around at the mix zone at most of these major races and you know, I'd be the only Hispanic person there and there weren't all that many young people there either. And it's crazy because the sport is predominantly, there's a lot of black sprinters and throwers and jumpers and for them to walk through and not see anyone who looks like them is tough. And we started this program in 2021 to try and find those younger creatives who can fill that gap, get more diversity in the mix zone, get more women in there and give them the mentorship to hopefully make a career out of it for themselves. You know, it's tough. Not everyone can end up on sort of the same career path that I had. There's a combination of luck and hard work and everything. And Hopefully we're sending them on the right path that they can find what it is that works best for them. And so it's, you know, giving them business coaching advice. It's pairing them with some of the most successful writers or editors or podcasters or broadcasters in the already established track and field media space so that they're able to learn something. And so for me, that's been super, super rewarding to see that now when I go to events, some of these kiddos that I brought into the program are now my competition, but I love that. And we all get the best out of each other and we're all willing to help each other out because we're all of the same mindset that we just want more people to care and pay attention to these amazing stories that we're trying to tell. And yeah, so that's been really cool to see. So the magic boost is something that I'm particularly very proud of and definitely blends, you know, that mix of sports media coverage and creativity. 